bring you the business of recovery because those struggling with addiction need you to be here tomorrow as well as today. Hello everyone and thank you for joining me here on the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host Nick Jaworski. The Recovery Executive Podcast is the premier podcast for owners, directors, executives and anyone out there that's trying to grow their center run a better program, and do it in a way that's able to help more people. We focus on the business aspects to make sure that your operations, your marketing, your admissions are just as good as your clinical so that you can not only help more people, but you can reach more people to help. The Recovery Executive Podcast is brought to you by Circle Social Inc., experts in strategic marketing and growth for treatment centers and behavioral health clinics. They can help you drive admissions, run a long-term sustainable strategy, not this crap around just single-channel AdWords or single-channel referrals that doesn't work and is killing a lot of centers. And they will help you run everything from beginning to end, initial inquiry to admission and even discharge alumni, business development follow-up. If you would like to get in touch with us, please reach out to us through our website at circlesocialinc.com. Today, I'm speaking with Dan Gemp. He is the CEO of Dreamscape Marketing and is one of the premier agencies in this space. I'm sure that most of our listeners are already familiar with Dan. He tends to be at a lot of conferences, does a lot of webinars, and is just well-known and well-liked throughout the space. I'm very excited to have him on today. Some people might be surprised because we could be considered competitors. However, both Dan and I believe, as you'll hear, that this space really needs to be more about collaboration than it does competition. There are more than enough people that need help with addiction treatment that we don't need to be competing with each other. As my company and his company both does very well, we're very good at finding those people that need help and getting them to your center. But if you have the space, there are the people out there. And so it's just a matter of strategy, of finding them, of building the right amount of trust. And for us, if we can help more centers find more patients and save more lives, we're going to do that. So we often collaborate on projects and we do it specifically because his team is extremely good at what they do. My team is extremely good at what they do. And we tend to be able to support each other and support centers. Um, So excited to have him on. We're going to talk a lot about particularly SEO AdWords, what's going on with those two pieces, as well as what centers should be doing in general, what works in this space in terms of marketing and outreach and what doesn't work. We'll also get into the nitty gritty of some benchmarks of what you should be looking at from everything from AdWords click conversion optimization to your landing page conversions to what your admissions team should be doing, what percentage they should be closing at and how you can improve those things. And at the end, we'll also get into just a little bit about what to do and what not to do to make sure that you're working with an agency partner correctly or that you're working with your internal team correctly in a way that's gonna help you grow your program and drive admissions that's sustainable, not short-term, not short-sighted, and that will actually help you grow your business. So very, very excited to have Dan on. He's got, as always, an amazing amount of information. I'm very excited for him to share that with you. With that, let's get into the conversation. Hey, Dan, real excited to have you on the show today. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Nick. 
Yeah, so you know, I think most people probably know who you are, but for those poor souls that don't, can you talk a little bit about yourself and your company? Gladly. Um, I'm one of my favorite topics. So I'm Dan Gemp. I'm the CEO of Dreamscape Marketing. Uh, we've been in business for 14 years, and we're one of the larger digital marketing agencies in the addiction treatment space. Um, I speak at a lot of conferences, and I've had the opportunity to, to meet a lot of you folks and to work with privately owned treatment centers in 37 different states and counting. Um, we collaborate on a lot of projects uh, with Circle Social and with Nick, and that's what brought us here today. Well, definitely excited to have you on. And you told me a cool fact a while ago that at one point you were, especially when AdWords was running real hot, you were one of the top 100 Google revenue earners. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, um, and, and we still are. Um, so there are different uh, sizes of agencies, and there's a lot of uh, small four-person shops and, and independent consultants and AdWords managers. Um, we are going to be approaching the 50-employee mark soon um, and historically have worked in other industries as well. So a lot of our training, uh, a lot of the beta products that Google comes out with, um, those are all in di direct collaboration with Google as a Google premier agency. Um, it doesn't just mean that we spend a lot of money. It means that we follow their rules. We're fully uh, informed of their bylaws and their uh, restrictions and requirements. Um, and just as importantly, we feed information back to Google on best practices, uh, trademark infringements, kind of a little bit of offense and a little bit of defense. Very cool. And that's actually really important, right? Because a lot of centers don't realize it, but Google and even Facebook and these bigger internet providers are actually kind of becoming the gatekeepers and setting their own rules in place. And if you break them, I mean, you're banned. You can't get your accounts back. You can't market. It becomes a big issue. Oh, yeah. And uh, what we've actually seen in, in this industry specifically, when Google regulated AdWords last September, it cost them somewhere between 250 and 300 million dollars. Um, they will make large-scale, decisive actions simply based on ethics. It is part of their mission. Um, so, when you see some some shadier operators or some uh, questionable tactics, not only can a, an AdWords campaign get banned, but your own site uh, can be penalized in organic search results. Uh, and that's happened for large Fortune 500 companies, but in this space, it has happened a lot more frequently. Yeah, we see that a lot too, you know, so a lot of people don't realize it, but especially even something simple like a website build, right? You'll see like, okay, well, I just want maybe a cheap website. I want it to look pretty, but if you don't have it optimized for SEO, right? It has very little value because no one's going to find your site. And then on top of that, you get all these issues where they're not in compliance with what Google's trying to do. And so then you get penalized. I mean, you and I just had a recent issue with, uh, you know, a friend center of ours where they are possibly looking at a penalty, right? Because the previous company that they hired or the company that they were working with was doing really shady stuff that Google doesn't like. And if they get caught, they're going to get hurt. Oh yeah. Um, and we've, we've seen it time and time again. Um, private blog networks, uh, shady, automated backlinking systems. Um, I mean, you name it. There, there are some larger operators in this industry that are simply linking to your treatment center's website from their other clients' websites. 
Um, I, I frown upon that at least. Um, so I, I think that there's a lot of uh, cutting corners that is unnecessary. And what we've seen with our clients is just good old-fashioned content marketing, labor, and following the rules um, has actually gotten them substantially more inquiries, phone calls, and admissions year after year after year. Uh, we've already driven about 11,000 residential treatment admissions year to date, um, purely through our clients' own websites, good old-fashioned SEO, um, and for a few of them, some of the earlier uh, approved legit script advertisers, a few of them have gotten uh, some traction with AdWords, but that hasn't even been a primary driver for us this year. Yeah, so let's definitely get into that. So first off, I mean, everyone's asking, right, what the hell is going on with AdWords? So do you have an update for us on that? Uh, yes, so LegitScript um, is a third-party company that was uh, brought in by Google to regulate this industry. Uh, and what LegitScript is, they're a background check company. They've only Google's only ever had to do this in about three other industries, and it's uh, bail bonds um, and mortgages and those kind of industries. What has happened is so many treatment centers went to sign up and go through the LegitScript process there's about a three or four month backlog. Um, and in their first month when things came back, they only approved about 30 treatment centers. Um, and we were managing about eight of those right out of the gates. And then now there seem to be uh, closer to 100 total approved advertisers. And that's going to uh, increase rapidly in the near term. Um, I think there were some staffing and training challenges at LegitScript. So I would imagine by the start of the year, there are several hundred um, approved actual treatment center operators. And what LegitScript is looking for is actual medical credentials of your staff, um, verifying your building address and medical licenses. They're, they're looking to make sure that you're the actual treatment center branded with staff, with operators, and they're completely trying to shut down uh, lead generation and lead aggregators of any kind. So if you don't own a treatment center, um, don't even try right now to, to bid on addiction-related keywords on AdWords. Um, this cleanup has been intriguing because while the, while the prices haven't come down drastically in terms of cost per click, um, it's, it's absolutely not a silver bullet marketing channel. Uh, the conversion rates seem to have gone up across the board for our clients, uh, double digits. A lot of them are seeing you know 20% lower cost per admission simply because you're not competing with uh, false advertising. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I know you're like me where you're so happy to see the cleanup of the lead aggregators and the call centers and all this other kind of crap. I mean, now you really have to have a center that's branded. You have to have a center that has its own SEO, that has a good website. And that's a big shift for the field and, and it requires an investment I think many centers are scared to make. But if they don't make it, as we see, they're, they're closing left and right. So it's kind of like, do you want to stay open or do you want to close? You know, what are you going to do? Right. And I've, I've been amazed to see this uh, over-reliance on AdWords, right? That there's only one marketing channel that's fueling the admissions for entire facilities. Uh, and it blows my mind because in my own business, I would never subject us to a single way of driving sales, Right. You have to have outreach and salespeople. You need to have professional referral relationships. Um, you need to have strong relationships with insurance carriers these days, even to get paid. Um, so it's, it's astounding to me that people will wait in line uh, for months to throw hundreds of 
thousands or millions of dollars at Google, right, which is a for-profit, publicly traded business, um, when the reality is that same budget, oftentimes from what I've seen, goes a whole lot farther if you build and manage your own outreach team um, or you invest much more strongly in your clinical uh, staff, right? Hire a few more doctors and their reputation and patient base will feed your programs um, while building your credibility and strengthening your outcomes data, which becomes marketable later on. So I, I'm still shocked, and, and even as I say this, I'm, you know, a bunch of question marks on why do so many facilities constantly uh, subject themselves to this over-reliance on AdWords? And in my opinion, it's completely unnecessary. Um, I always find it refreshing when I encounter clients who never did AdWords because it means they're able to grow and operate their businesses um, in good times and bad times without shopping for a silver bullet. Yeah. You know, that was one of the big things that we saw when we really heavily invested in this field here is that that over-reliance, like you said, and just the ridiculous amount of money that people were spending on it. You know, like you said, you can take that budget and push it into SEO, push into business development, push into building a strong clinical team, and you're going to have an amazing center far above and beyond what you could have if you were blowing all that money in AdWords, right? And because we've seen cost per admits as low as $400 with some of the campaigns that we're running, you know, and obviously that stuff is very hard to maintain, but it's a hell of a lot better than paying anywhere from like four to seven grand or more on an AdWords spend, especially as these insurance reimbursements drop. And I think the biggest issue that you and I have talked about before is there is an obsession in this field because it was so immature. A lot of people didn't really have a business background that got into running treatment centers is they were looking for one-to-one magic bullets, right? They're like, well, I want to be able to invest in a spend and see an immediate return on that spend. And that's incredibly rare in the real world, right? <laughs> so absolutely, you've got to have this kind of long tail approach where, you know, we often tell clients that if you can track back 30% of your admissions directly to specific marketing campaigns, that's great. But at the end of the day, it's still only final attribution, right? I mean, how many touch points were there beforehand most of the time, what we'll see, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, is even, even with AdWords, right? They'll click on an AdWords campaign, then they'll go and research you online and check out your reviews, and then they'll end up calling you from your Google organic number rather than your AdWords number, you know, if you're using CTM or other call tracking metric software. Um, so I just think it's really important for centers to understand this multi-touchpoint patient journey that happens and the fact that, you know, minimal investment really on the front end, far, far cheaper than a monthly AdWords spend gives you a long-term sustainable business, exactly like you said. And, and even on the digital side of marketing, right, these other channels are just as important, if not more important, than paid advertising, right? You're simply renting that. If you, if you turn off your paid ads or Google turns them off as they did industry-wide, right, for the last year, um, then you're done. You don't own anything. But if you invest in a strong social presence, if you communicate with your alumni, if you build out your Google My Business, which is a free tool, a free profile, um, and, and invest even, even super conservatively in some content marketing and good organic SEO, these are, are low-cost and free channels that I'm going to say fewer than 10% of treatment centers are, are using properly. Um, even just uh, the credible credible uh, listings and directories like Psychology Today, um, those are opportunities that 
I just think are being overlooked because everybody's got this, uh, you know, gold rush fever over AdWords, and that's it hasn't been the case for a year. That that ship has sailed, um, and so I, I think that diversification is going to be the the word of the year uh, for 2019. I think that's where everything needs to be going. There will not be any single channel that's a silver bullet, but if you properly work on these other channels, it should be lower cost anyway. Right. You know, I think you have the same business mentality I do, but it's all about innovate or die, right? And a lot of centers are dying right now um, because they're refusing to innovate. They're just sitting on their butts waiting around for some magic bullet to come back or some other magic formula to work. You know, we even see it on the Facebook end where they're looking for something like AdWords was, where it's like, well, can I just give you $10,000 and, and you give me 20000 back next week? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, totally, totally. That's how the stock market works, right? You put money in and then they double your returns. You get it out the next week, right? <laughs> you know, but you have these ridiculous expectations that make absolutely no sense. And you're like, how, how do you even think that that would be possible? You know, yes, when you've gotten lucky in the past with certain AdWords spends, right? Because it's a very bottom of frontal, people are in crisis in this industry, they're a little bit more gullible, you don't need a good sales team um, to get conversions like you might in another field, you know, they got away with it. But we also see it, unfortunately, with all that patient brokering, right? And I'm so excited for the new law that's getting passed where they're making a federal law that's banning that this week, right? It goes into um, good side by President Trump. I know, so super exciting. But you have the same thing, right? All these people are like, well, we just want to pay for heads and beds. And now that that option's gone, they have zero business, right? Because they've built up no credibility in the field, not to mention that most people hate them. (laughs) But... uh, you know, it's the same mentality where it's just like, I didn't have a brand. I didn't actually have a business. I just kind of had this really weird marketing machine that doesn't work in any other field in healthcare or in the real world. Now it's gone and now I don't know what to do. And so they're, they're waiting for another magic bullet rather than getting serious about their strategy. Yeah. And what I've seen that, that seems to be lacking in this space, it's, it's very strange because of how patient centric, um, the clinical care is in addiction treatment, but people forget that they're talking to human beings, right? They're talking about heads and beds and cost for this and cost for that. And, and hey, my degree is in finance. I run a business. We grow by a lot every year. Um, but, but universally within our company, all of our conversations are about the customer, right? This is still a normal healthcare business and the customer gets to choose where they go. And you're not going to trick them, right? Not in this day and age, because they can do their own research. They can check you out on the internet, read reviews, that sort of thing. Um, And it also means that there's a limited market, right? There is a fixed number of people at any given point in time that is actively seeking treatment uh, or potentially seeking readmission, having gone to treatment before. So there's a, a, a much more limited number of people that are familiar with the industry, And then there's a limited audience, especially on the Internet, of unique human beings that you can advertise to. Um, So there is no blanket campaign. There is no magic display ad channel or paid ad channel that just converts at your desired dollars. Um, What it really boils down to is choosing the right marketing mix, as I was referencing earlier, Um, you know, where, where I think digital should only really compile... 20 to 30% of your total admissions um, for any healthy operator. Yep. 
Yeah, and that's what buyers are looking for as well. You know, if you're looking to get acquired, if you see a mix of, you know, more than 30% in terms of multimedia leads, the buyers are not going to be very interested. So it, it, you know, behooves you to make sure you're in a line with what the market actually wants. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think that that's important to consider. There's a lot of mergers and acquisition activity. Uh, we've been part of over a dozen transactions in the space, um, one that was over a billion dollars. And in all of these evaluations, the buyers are looking for sustainability and really common sense marketing channels, right? A few that you own through relationships, a few that you have control of the costs, and a few that are scalable um, and tactical. And so if you don't have that mix, if you don't have multiple ways to drive admissions and grow, then nobody's going to buy you. There would be no interest uh, at this point. Yeah. And kind of going back to something you said about there kind of being limited opportunity or limited market, you know, I often talk about that with clients and I find they have a really hard time with it. And one of the examples I've given in the past is understanding Google and AdWords are like the yellow pages of yesteryear, right? People have a problem, so they go to the yellow pages to search for the plumber that they want or search for the addiction treatment center near them. But they're, so they're going there at the point they're ready to make a decision. But that's a very small number of people. Not everyone needs a plumber all the time, right? And so I often also give the example of like, let's say there's 10 people in a room. Well, of those 10 people, maybe one of them is ready to get treatment, right, right now. And so I don't care how much money you spend or how many times you get in front of those 10 people, there's only that one person that wants to get in, you know. Now, that's not to say that a month from now, the other guy who's still in strong denial then decides he's ready. And then four months from now, you know, someone else in that group has a sister who has a problem or, or they end up with their own problem. So over time, you can bring in more of that group. But at any given point in time, there's only going to be one out of those 10 that actually are seeking treatment. And so that's how marketing works in general. So if you are too focused on just the people or just that one person, you're pushing a bunch of money at other people that aren't ready to convert into a salesy way, right? You have to warm them up. You have to get them build trust, get them interested in your center. And then over time, when they are ready, they'll come to you. And that's a big opportunity that most centers are missing. All these centers are focusing on that one person that wants to buy right now and not on the nine people that could convert in the next six months. And I also find that irresponsible, right? This is medicine. This is a medical industry. So if you were dealing with, um, you know, assessments for diabetes or cancer, it is your medical obligation to keep in touch with those patients and make sure that they are not in immediate need. Um, and I think that that's both an, an opportunity, right? A consistent, caring communication, as well as something that's an overlooked, um, I think, ethical requirement in this space. You, you should make sure people are doing well before, during, and after treatment. Um, and even if you're not the perfect fit for every patient, make sure they find a good program so that they can survive and thrive. Well, that's exactly right. You know, and if you look at people, what I always say is you can get people into treatment a little bit earlier if you can nurture them in the right way and make the kinds of compassionate contact that are appropriate. And so going back to that example of the one in 10, well, you had that second guy that was kind of in denial. Well, what if you could, through your messaging, through your relationship with him, get him into treatment a month before he decided he was ready? 
how much easier would it be for your center to help that person? How much better would his life be because he got in earlier? He didn't get as deep, you know, so there's huge advantages on the clinical and the patient end to reaching people that are not ready to decide and nurturing them through a decision process because all these people are confused. They're scared. They don't know where to turn. Um, and so I think it's a treatment center's job to help them understand what's going on with themselves, with the dynamics around them, and then help them see what their actual options are. Absolutely. That education process is sorely lacking. Um, and that is something that, that can be accomplished through a website too, right? You could produce, um, some educational materials, some uh, blogs that manage expectations, um, talk about the process, talk about your own clinical programs, and then you can reference them if you, you know, if you're making phone calls and following up with potential patients, um, you can reference those resources or create downloadable ebooks for their family members as they're considering um, the right program and the right fit for themselves. And that works, right? And you don't have to have, I mean, I, God, I remember I came across one center they were looking at coming on with us and they had articles on like the horrors of bath salts and how they could be used. And there was this big picture of like a skull on the blog and you're like, really? <laughs> you know, do we have to try scare people into treatment all the time? Or do you think that maybe a more compassionate approach where you understand them would work? And the reality is it does, right? I mean, I'm sure you see it on our end, on your end. On our end, when we write articles that are compassionate, that really kind of get people, show that we understand their pain and where they're coming from, they're much more likely to respond, to pick up that phone, to send in the online web inquiry than all this stuff about freaking people out. So what I think is important here is for treatment centers to provide different messages while they're in this education process uh, to alleviate fear, show comfort, and demonstrate respect. Um, and those different messages will register to different audiences as they're in the decision-making process, but just letting them know, look, here, here's some pictures of, of beds and food, right? This is what your uh, living situation will be like when you're with us. Um, this is what our clinical program looks like. Here's a sample daily schedule. Uh, we have individualized care, so we will actually learn your name and you will get to meet our doctor um, and they will know who you are, right? Those, those kind of messages really, really, really put consumers at ease. And if you're not familiar with this decision-making process, compare it to choosing a surgeon, right? Whether it's a minor surgery or major surgery, don't you want to know that everything is in order what the environment's going to be like on the day of your surgery. So it's like any other medical decision. You want to be educated. Uh, you want to be able to make this decision without fear. And you want to be respected and comfortable. And it, it really does boil down to that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we go on site with a lot of our clients and we interview their current patients and alumni. And that's consistently one of the things that they're looking for. You know, I was just talking to a guy the other week where he went to 14 different treatment centers in the LA area. And he's like, you know, they all look like these horrible places, right? They're not friendly. Um, everyone's crammed together. It just seems like they're interested in money. You know, he's like, I'm looking for a place that wants to take care of me, that has a respectful setting, that has a peaceful setting, you know, not these kind of mills that, that too many treatment centers um, are in some of the overcrowded areas in California, Florida, Arizona. So that's what clients are looking for. And so if you put that messaging out there, they will respond to it. Absolutely. And we've seen any client that does, um, they see immediate benefit. It, it shows sincerity and that will make any business succeed. Right. Because again, 
people forget this and it always surprises me, but I mean, how many of the patients coming into your center are first time patients? You know, the vast majority of them are through their fourth, fifth, sixth time, right? I mean, they know what it looks like. Their family knows what it looks like. They know what they're looking for. You know, we don't have this gullible community that we did five, you know, or more years ago. Now people are very educated about the field. The bad publicity that's out there has further educated the, you know, the consumer base. And, and so they're very discerning. I think you've seen on your end too, but you know, people used to maybe compare one or two treatment centers when they were calling. Now they're comparing like five to seven, right? So you have a lot more competition, even at that final decision-making stage now than you did a couple of years ago, because people are, are much more worried and really focused on finding a quality center rather than just finding treatment. Oh yeah. And, and we've seen uh, the amount of research being done. The time on websites is, is increasing. Um, it appears as though over 80% of decisions are not made uh, in terms of which treatment center to attend until research has been done specifically on Google. Um, so that, you're, again, your Google My Business profile, your organic search presence, um, and AdWords if you can get legit script approval. Uh, those are very important channels because of the educational and resource, uh, research excuse me, process before a patient actually commits to coming to your program. Yeah, and we've seen it, right, where you have centers that have issues with their reviews or suddenly they get a series of negative reviews and their inquiry volume just drops, I mean, often overnight. So people are not just going to your website and they're not just looking at your ad. They go, they search your reviews, they see what the reviews say, and then they'll make a decision to call or fill out the form. This is an interesting point. So. What I've seen is a, a huge missed opportunity in these reviews. A lot of treatment centers aren't deploying um, sufficient enough outreach teams. They don't have enough sales and outreach piece, people going around to their referral partners um, and other therapists and professionals for potential referral relationships, right? But if they did and they had strong outcomes with those patients, you'd find yourselves getting amazing reviews from those actual doctors, right, from other medical professionals. And what we've seen is the places that have the best clinical standards, the best clinical care itself, will automatically get more reviews. And it's not from the patients and their families. It's from the referring physician. And they say things like, I'm so confident with treatment center ABC that I would refer any patient there. And that way, when you see reviews from doctors and credible organizations and therapists, and then maybe one review from a, a patient who walked out after eight days, even if you're, uh, you know, your average is only three stars out of five, when people read those, they're going to see happy medical professionals and maybe one dissatisfied customer like you see on restaurant reviews. Um, so I, I think that the public is also aware that you know, not everybody goes in and leaves an amazing review for a good experience, but everybody leaves reviews for a bad experience. And so you do need to nurture those relationships um, and, and get that professional credibility so that your colleagues uh, feel comfortable leaving good reviews and putting their name on your credibility. That's an excellent point. And, you know, there's even this habit of some centers to put up a bunch of like fake reviews or have all their staff review the center. You know, people check that stuff. Like I know I do. Um, but if I'm looking online for an organization and then I see all these really glowing reviews, it makes me kind of suspicious. And then I do a little bit of research. I'm like, oh, they all work there. If I look on LinkedIn, they're all linked to the same job. 
you know, um, people check that stuff out. They're not stupid. And so trying to hack the system or whatever you want to call it, it's not just irresponsible, but it's, you could be better spending your time somewhere else. Yeah. And, and if you are going to have employees leave reviews, just have them be honest and say, I work here and here's why I love working here. Right. Don't have them pretend to be former patients. That's very easy to see through. Exactly. Well, all right, let's get back to the SEO stuff. Um, so just kind of some of the nitty gritty. What are some of the common mistakes you see centers making when you first take over accounts? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> poor, I know, that's poorly built websites where they're just using the absolutely wrong tools. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of uh, shady amateur practices in place where you just see massive overlinking on a website um, and, and poor deployment of Google Analytics, Google Search Console. So it's not a data-driven approach. It is just an amateur approach. Um, in this industry, I have seen the shadiest backlinking tactics that I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> and people will, you know, I'm, I'm seeing backlinks from virginiaparanormal.net back to a rehab center, <laughs> right? It makes no sense. Um, some of these, I'm, I'm guessing it's freelancers or overseas companies um, they're just getting links back to your treatment center from any site they possibly can. Whereas the reality of it is uh, they need to have relationships where they can get articles written on other sites like Psychology Today and these publication-style sites um, where the links back to your site count, and then you'll rank higher for relevant addiction treatment-related keywords and search terms. Uh, so that backlinking is... I'm going to say that's something where I, I have yet to see a um, consistent approach to the backlinking in this industry, and it is one of the shadier sides of SEO in the space. Um, duplicate blogs. I see a lot of stolen content, and to me that indicates a, a low IQ because duplicate content cannot rank on Google. Those pages will simply be discounted to zero. Um, so if you're using other people's content or repurposing um, even rewriting some of it, that can be done the wrong way and your site is rendered invisible or worse, you can actually incur penalties. Um, and then on the analytics and reporting side, I have just seen so much fraud, just flat out lying from vendors to their clients. Um, and part of our mission statement is transparent communication, but that's not just an idea. You have to actually have transparent tracking metrics in place so that when you say, hey, this phone call came from your website, the client should agree with you that that's where it came from, right? And so what we've seen is vendors that are managing um, PPC budgets, they might go and upsell a client, you know, 10 grand a month worth of SEO, and they'll just put the SEO tracking phone number on a bunch of paid ads to manufacture these fake results. Um, so I, I think that this... Uh, you know, the shady backlinking, duplicate content or stolen content, and, and this fake analytics, right, false reporting, um, falsification of call tracking data, those are the major, major, major mistakes I've seen in the space um, beyond just poor, poor deployment or amateur deployment of best practices. So excellent. Let me let me put some explanations in there because, you know, a lot of our um, listeners probably don't have the SEO backgrounds that we do. So 
backlinking is a way to build authority on your site. Google says, okay, lots of people are linking to your site, so clearly it's a relevant site. We should show it higher in the search results. That's kind of the idea there. What happens with a lot of these shady agencies, and we see it too. I mean, one of the centers we took over about a year ago, all of their backlinks were to like Russian sites, you know. Um, so Google gives you a higher authority or establishes higher authority for the link based on how relevant it is to the field of your business, right? So if you're in addiction treatment and you have links coming from addiction treatment related, behavioral health related, healthcare related sources, that's gonna improve your rankings. If you have links coming from paranormal activity or somewhere over in Russia, it's not going to help you at all. Or worst case scenario, Google's gonna actually penalize your site because it sees that you're trying to do shady link building just for SEO purposes and not actually building real organic trust and you'll get penalized. The content area is the same way, right? Where Google's very good. They know exactly what kind of content is out there. They scan the web all the time, right? So they know what duplicate content is. And so a lot of these shady agencies will do what's called spun content where they just put a piece of content into kind of like a little script software program. It rewords some stuff and spits it back out. Well, again, Google's got better AI and better control mechanisms than anyone running spun software. So Google can track that. Again, it's going to hurt, not just potentially be deranked, right? But it's very potentially going to penalize your site. We just actually had a client that came to us that their entire site, well, actually 75% of their site was scraped or duplicated content and they hit a huge algorithmic penalty in the beginning of August and it just tanked all their rankings, which is why they came to us, you know? So this stuff is real. It happens all the time. Just because you didn't get caught, you know, the past three months doesn't mean the bot's not going to come through and you're going to get caught this time. So very, very important to understand what these pieces are and, and that they have a huge impact on your business. If you get nailed with the penalty because it's super expensive to fix, plus all the lost revenue from any potential calls that you would have gotten otherwise. I've also witnessed um, some, I'll, I'll say, agencies that have nothing to lose. Um, they will sell a client SEO as a service, and that means that they should be producing content on the client's website, producing links back to the client's website. But in reality, they have some website that they operate themselves that generates calls, and they're just actually filtering call sales uh, through your huh. SEO number. Oh, geez. And, and I, I just find that to be absolutely unscrupulous. But um, but a lot of a lot of clients we have now fell victim to that. Um, and, and the best way to find out would be if you look at the uh, the actual staff or ask ask your agency who is on staff there. And you want to make sure that somewhere in that staff, you know, the skill set is writers or somebody who's actually producing and publishing that content. Otherwise, it is likely that they're getting their, their calls and this quote-unquote SEO uh, from other places. That's a really good point. So something that's really important, because you mentioned the transparency piece, and I, I can't tell you how often we see this, but if you're hiring an agency or a marketer or whoever, they have to be running your AdWords, your Facebook, anything else that they're doing through the profiles of your page, and you should have 100% access to that at any point. What happens is a lot of shady places, they will set up a Google tracking pixel through their own Facebook profile rather than your Facebook profile. So one, you can't see the spend. So they could be charging you $10,000 a month, pocketing $9,000 of that, right? And spending a thousand and you would never know. 
and two, you, you don't know the data. And the same thing can happen with AdWords. So you absolutely have to have transparency from your agency. There's no reason you should ever not have full access to the data at any time. You know, yeah, they should still give you monthly reports, but all you have to do is log into Facebook, log into AdWords, right? Log into the back of your Google Analytics account, and you should be able to see the exact same things that they're showing you. If you can't, you need to find another agency. Yeah, you should have full administrative access to all of your systems and all of your data. All right, so we talked about some of the common mistakes, and these are really common. Like, we see them all the time. And, oh, you know, and you just mentioned, like, the shady stuff of hiding it. And we just had another client that we were talking with where I saw that they said that, you know, this client said, oh, we're running Facebook campaigns for them, or they're running Facebook campaigns for us. I'm like, well, what campaigns? Where are they? They're like, oh, well, we don't know. We can't see them. Well, it's highly likely that they're probably doing patient brokering or something else. And then just saying that they're running Facebook, you know, and then and sending you inquiries or sending you admissions. And what most centers don't realize is you're 100% legally liable for that, right? You are liable for what your marketing agency does. The new federal laws make that a, a very serious case. And the prosecution we saw take place in Florida was actually through uh RICO statutes, conspiracy statutes. And uh, what it basically says is the CEO of a treatment center cannot claim ignorance if a lower level employee or contractor uh, is engaged in brokering. So I think that there's going to be some very serious uh, legal liability for facilities to consider in their marketing um, now more than ever. It's, it's not about Google choosing to uh, regulate its ad platform. It's now about federal and state laws um, that are becoming exceptionally strict. And then these are felony level charges. Right. Well, okay. So we talked about some of the common mistakes. What are some quick wins out there for centers if they're trying to do this on their own? God forbid. Sure. Um, so I would say simply having a presence um, on all social media channels and, and Nick, this is your world more than ours, but Google my business uh, is a platform that Google themselves has been investing in more and more and more. And anything I see Google putting more time and effort into has always benefited clients if they participate. So building out your Google My Business profiles and, and making a weekly post or a couple posts a week is important. Um, using other Google technologies, so they created accelerated mobile pages, which it's not terribly difficult for a good web developer to build that AMP version of your website. And anybody that's on slow Wi-Fi on their cell phone will be able to see a faster loading somewhat pared down version of your website, but a lot of our clients are getting 15 to 20% of their calls through their accelerated mobile pages, and it's a free technology um, and just takes a block of labor from a web developer to, to format. Um, so keep that in mind. There's these free tools from Google. They want you using Google Maps. They want you using Google My Business. They want you to have this AMP technology because more than half of your calls are going to come from people that are doing their search on a cell phone. Um, and then I think the overlooked audiences um, would be alumni and families. Uh, I don't think you realize the power that a single alumni has as they get to a certain stage in their recovery. Um, they will absolutely, absolutely, uh, you know, scream from a mountaintop how they're feeling about the successes they're having, about their new job. And anyone they know that's struggling with addiction still, friends, family, um, so be it. But those are potential new patients for you. And one alumni often knows, you know, a half a dozen to a dozen other people struggling with addiction. 
And that channel is something that a lot of treatment centers overlook. They're simply looking for new business when if they just kept in touch with past patients, um, you know, sadly there's potential for readmission, but more likely if you're in touch with their families and the patient themselves, um, your opportunity is in who they know that also needs that respectful level of care. And then the final opportunity I'd say that's a quick win, um, and a lot of our clients aren't really able to understand it, but you are not limited to one website. You can build out specialty websites for your men's program, your women's program, a first responders program, a professional colleague continuing education credit, lunch and learn program that you host. Um, and, and they don't realize that that makes your digital footprint substantially larger, and it is not as costly as a lot of paid advertising channels. Um, so consider the just the sheer concept that you can build multiple websites they can all be branded and transparent, and it will end up driving more admissions, more phone calls at a very cost-effective rate. Oh, that's fairly interesting. So what would your recommendation be on building out separate websites for separate programs versus just optimizing pages on a single website? Sure, um, and, and we've done both. So I'm actually basing this on our, our experience, but uh, let's use a large multi-location example, right? If you've got 20 treatment centers and you just have one giant website, you can optimize it for all of the regions and locations that, that you have. Um, but when you build out 20 smaller location-based websites and optimize those, what we have found is your conversion rate from those markets can as much as double. So it would be the same amount of labor, right? You're still producing the same amount of content and pages of websites and links but as people shop locally uh, there's a faster decision-making process even for residential programs um, and you'll see your conversion rates go up so that is the advantage it's not that it's any better or any different than optimizing one central website um, you'll simply find a higher close rate a higher conversion rate on those uh, localized or specialty program websites. Very interesting. So we've talked a lot about SEO, somewhat in general, and then obviously somewhat specific to the field here. What we see with a lot of clients is they just hire any old SEO agency or marketing company, which drives me up a wall. I mean, like, why would you hire your guy that does local marketing for dry cleaners and you know car lots and run them for addiction treatment but so from your perspective why not hire any old seo sorry any old seo company why actually hire one specialized in addiction treatment sure um so a lot of people don't realize the competitive nature of this industry this is the single most competitive sector in healthcare online and, and these other agencies that aren't familiar with the space are going to come in and learn on your dollars. They're going to spend the first three to six months of a campaign just figuring out the industry. Um, we've encountered groups that are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on display ads and banner ads and wondering why their conversion rate is so low. <laughs> and it's like, oh, please, we figured out nine years ago that it doesn't convert as well as organic SEO or uh, even Google AdWords, right? So they're going to be learning on your dollar, whether it's media spend or uh, just general strategy and tactics. Um, they don't have data on things like men's rehab program receiving more searches than men's rehab center, right? Those, those key little uh, conversion points would require having other people's data. 
And that's where industry-specialized vendors and agencies are worth their weight in gold. And, and I don't even care if it's us or someone else. If they have successful conversion data and they have other campaigns they can reference both historical, present, and projected into the future, then you will benefit from all of those other, call them research dollars, that were spent by your competitors, right? And that vendor or that agency could be substantially more effective. Um, and in our, in our communication with clients, it's good for them to know, like, listen, we're not guessing. There's no part of our campaign that is theoretical. We, we are simply going to engage in what works successfully already for all of our other clients beyond any mathematical doubt. Um, and that, that data and that certain, certainty is what should drive your strategies, and it's what you're at risk for if you're working with groups that have no knowledge of this exceptionally competitive space. Yep, that's exactly right, right? I mean, you know what the benchmarks are, you know what the costs are. Um, there's all these advantages around timelines, you know. I mean, I can tell you, like, when we used to do other verticals, you would get into a vertical and be like, well, actually, I don't know. Is this a good click-through rate? Is this a good conversion cost? How long should this take? How much money do we need to spend? There's all these questions that you have in your head, but once you become specialized, we know. Like, we know that if we're going to run a specific Facebook campaign, for example, it's going to take three months to get that optimized and get that running, and you need to be spending a significant amount of money per month to actually validate your models and build up your audiences. You know, and you've even, even with AdWords, right? You know, oftentimes when you start an AdWords campaign, I know you've seen this, it's not just about AdWords, it's about your call center operations. And so if you start driving high volumes of calls, well, if your call center is not set up to operate and figure that out, handle those calls appropriately, then you're just basically blowing money. So there's a certain portion of your budget that needs to go to kind of testing and, and help your call center team figure out operationally, how they need to staff the phones, how they need to answer the phones, how they need to do the verification for VOBs, et cetera. And then once that process process is hashed out, then you'll actually see higher conversion rates. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and I think that that knowledge basis is the difference between an agency or, or employee that is knowledgeable of this space versus someone from outside. They know how these call centers work. They know the admissions messaging that's most effective. They know what data points to ask for. Um, you know, they might know what keyword originated a phone call, but they do need to know from your admissions team whether that phone call turned into an admission uh, later on. So for all of those reasons, and then to be totally honest, there is an argument to be made for if you're not with us, you're against us. Uh, do you truly believe that an agency that has no industry knowledge can even compete with an agency that is specialized in the space for a decade. Um, and in my experience, they, they cannot. <laughs> um, and I've, I think you've had the same experience. I've uh, you know, had the opportunity to work with you collaboratively on, on several clients, and you come in and say the exact same things I do. What, what were these guys even thinking over here and over here? <laughs> do they even know how this industry works? Yeah. Um, and they don't, and they don't understand the implications of, uh, health insurance and the nation, national nature of PPO policies and all of that. So that knowledge is critical to, to success in any marketing channel in this space. Yeah, I think the problem on the owner or the director and or the other people that hire you know agencies like mine and yours is that they think there's a plug and play formula. They're like, oh, I need someone to do SEO. And so just do SEO. Well, no, there is a very strong strategic background that has to be tailored to a center you know it depends on 
how your site's built currently, what you're currently ranking for, what channels are currently converting, you know, where your clinical specializations are. There's all these pieces that come into play and month by month, you adjust that strategy based on the data you get back, right? It's not like, oh, we're just gonna backlink build this week and then next week we'll do some content. Like that's not how it works. It's based on what Google's telling you or what Facebook's telling you. I had a client call, I had a client call yesterday and uh, they spend a nominal budget and uh, have a very effective cost per admission, just, just organic SEO. Um, and they got three admissions from organic SEO last month through their website. And they got three again this month. And they were asking me why they didn't get four or five. And what was intriguing to me is I realized they didn't comprehend that these were three new patients. It wasn't three people from last month and then they're here again this month and we're adding a fourth and fifth. It's, it's a cumulative total of six human beings that were um, educated and, and chose to go to their programs. So I think that's the other factor as well, that if you're not the strongest analytics organization, um, you do have to realize that there's a seasonality to this industry. Um, around the holidays in November and December, these are the worst months of the year for admissions, but you'll still get the same number of searches your phone's just not going to ring until January. And then you'll have this huge rush from January through May, and then things trail off in the summertime. So I think that knowledge base um, is, is important in designing your campaigns and in establishing your budgets. Um, you don't want to overspend in the down seasons and underspend in the good seasons, but, uh, but you have to realize that you are subject to that fluctuation. Yeah, really important. And also, I always mention to clients, like, you know, it does take a couple months to build most realistic campaigns. I mean, the SEO end, it's easily three to six months, depending if they've done any real SEO before. Most centers haven't. You know, Facebook campaigns, you know, can be about three months. Business development is anywhere from three to six months once you start building relationships with people that are outside the treatment space, which you absolutely should be doing. Um, but it takes time. And so if you start it in kind of the down season, then you're ready to go in January. Whereas if you wait to January, well, you're actually not going to have your campaigns actually kick in consistently until March. And so now you just screwed yourself by losing two months of potential revenue because you hadn't built anything up previously. Oh, yeah. We, we've already defined 2019 strategies for our current clients. Um, so don't don't be late to the party because your competition is already there. Yep. All right. Well, let's get into some of the nitty gritty here. Uh, I think people are always interested in the numbers and the metrics. So from an SEO perspective, you know, is there a certain amount or Google search volume that you're looking for in keywords when you're working with new clients? Um, yeah. And that's um, to some extent, budget determines pace, right? So budget determines whether you're going after, you know, uh, 20 families of keywords or 300 families of keywords. But um, the good news is Google has evolved. Um, it's not quite artificial intelligence yet, but it has evolved to evaluate relevancy. Um, so you're not subject to just choosing 12 specific keywords. Um, I do recommend a minimum of several dozen keywords. Um, most of our clients will start off with a few hundred keywords but some of them can be variations of each other. Um, so, you know, you, you might be trying to optimize your site for men's rehab program, but if you're in Los Angeles, you would also go after Los Angeles men's rehab program, um, Los Angeles, you know, opiate rehab program for men. Those, they could all be very similar terms. And Google now uses technology called schema 
to establish that those are all synonymous related terms, both to your geography and to your service offerings. So what's cool is you might only be optimizing your site for a few dozen keywords on a pretty conservative budget, and you might find yourself ranking for hundreds of variations on those terms simply because Google is getting smarter and smarter by the day. Does that make sense? Yep. Right. And I mean, obviously, the more pages you have indexed, the more that you're potentially showing up in different searches. So it does behoove you just to kind of start creating large volumes of content around. Yeah, it, it, it tends to play out with, you know, more, more is more on the Internet. If you produce more pages and more linking and focus on more keywords, you will rank for more things sooner. So I think some of the challenges that clients face is sometimes you're looking at like a keyword search volume for a local search of only like, you know, 50 a month. And then they'll see something like addiction rehab, you know, near me where you're getting a thousand searches a month. And they're like, oh, well, I really want to go for that. But they're on page 1000. And so, you know, when you think strategically where we can get you ranking, how fast we can get you ranking, even if there's a lower search volume, it might be worth going for that term because you can get on page one for it, which is where the calls come in. Oh, yeah. And, and I think that you're completely right. You need a quantity and quality um, focus in your campaign. Go ahead and go after that big competitive keyword that you know drives a ton of admissions, but you are up against some very big budget, um, big operator SEO efforts. And you have to actually outpace them and outmaneuver them to outrank them. And in the meantime, there might be hundreds of keywords that each get 10, 10 visits a month, and they each make your phone ring twice, and you admit one patient on every one of those keywords. So don't ignore the, the low-hanging fruit. Don't ignore the op opportunities that are right in front of you to rank locally, regionally, um, you know, and for specialty programs. Yeah, I think there's a lot of advantages to starting off locally, you know, I mean, I think that's something that we do with clients pretty consistently is build out the local presence first. And as you mentioned before, like Google Maps and Google My Business are huge opportunities that most people aren't using. I mean, we got a center ranking on Google Maps for a dictionary have near me and detox near me in less than two months. And that was in Miami Beach. It was crazy, you know, where it's like super competitive, but because no one's doing it, there's opportunity there. So always look for those opportunities and, you know, really push into the areas that other people haven't innovated into yet. Um, okay, so we talked about search volume, you know, so we kind of talked about how strategically you need to determine what makes sense for you and your budget. What should centers expect as a percentage of clicks at certain keyword rankings? So we mentioned that page one is really where you need to be. Nobody calls page two, but where do you see a percentage of clicks breaking down by the first 10 positions? Sure. So there's actually exponential growth as you get towards the first rank in search results. Um, it's uh, if you want to do a, do a Google image search for inverse tangent, um, the return on investment from SEO is an inverse tangent, and it's the same as an oil well or a gold mine. You can spend the same amount of time and money every month, and it'll be flat in the beginning. You're not ranking for anything in the beginning for several months. And then there's an exponential up curve, and eventually it will level off as you're getting you know, the most number of searches that you're going to get from those keywords, your, your market share. So what we've seen to get specific, um, Google has been trying to promote their paid ads more and more and more. And so you'll see the real estate on your phone especially is almost entirely taken up now by paid ads and Google Maps 
and the organic searches are now showing up below those map results. Um, so the first, the first position for most searches right now is seeing about 73% of all the clicks from that search. What's interesting is the second position is only seeing about 8%, and it goes down from there as you go down the page. So if you rank you know, 8th, ninth, or 10th on the first page of search results for keyword, you're getting very, very, very few clicks. But when you get up to second place, you could actually be getting a lot of clicks and a lot of calls. And when you get up to first place, that will compound tenfold. Um, and you might fluctuate between those top few positions over and over and over again as, as you uh, compete. But that's what we've seen. Uh, those are the current stats. It was actually up over 80% um, last year. And then what we've noticed is as those organic results have been pushed further down the page on Google, uh, they're getting slightly fewer clicks. So I think going back to our first question for the listeners that maybe might not be as familiar with this, like if you're seeing that your search volume is 100 a month, while if you're in position one, you can get 73 of those clicks per month, right? Whereas in position two, you're only going to get eight clicks per month. <laughs> and then you have to understand your website conversion rates and stuff like that, which we'll get to in a second. But it's really important to understand that that's what you're shooting for, right? If you're on page two, you're probably getting zero. So you have to understand your search volume, connect it with what the rankings click-through rates tend to be, and then what that converts at in terms of once they get onto your page. And I always like to mention like the AdWords is often a really low click-through rate. So it's a very small amount of the traffic that's coming through AdWords as you know, I think you've stated before. So like your AdWords click-through rate, you want to go through that a little bit and just talk about, you know, how small yeah, it is. And so AdWords is a unique, a unique animal. So realizing that if the organic search results are getting more than 80% of the clicks, right? When someone searches for this keyword, this is what's intriguing to me. The paid ads are then getting fewer than 20% of the clicks, right? So those paid ads that everybody is waiting in line to throw their money at Google AdWords for, you're going after a minority of the traffic. You're going after one-fifth of the potential traffic when you're using paid search. Um, when you do get that click, however, and, and that uh, customer is now over on your landing page, you do ideally want to see um, a, in, in the beginning it may be lower, but as you're getting several months into your campaign, roughly a five to 10% um, conversion rate on those visits. And then from organic SEO, ideally, you're, you're going to see a lower total volume of, of unique visitors, um, but it is not unreasonable to expect 10 to 20% of those people uh, to fill out a form or pick up the phone and call you um, once your campaign hits its stride, typically about you know anywhere from three to six months in. So really important for listeners to understand there, right, is not only is organic attracting more traffic, and like realistically, you could spend $10,000 a month to really build up strong SEO for a series of keywords versus spending $10,000 a month on AdWords, you know, and not having any long tail and not having attract, you're only attracting a minority of the traffic. But with the organic SEO, you get a higher conversion rate once on the page, right? People are more trusting of organic results than they are of ad results. So you double your conversion rate on page on top of attracting, you know, maybe up to 80% of all searchers. I mean, that it's a huge win that most centers are not taking advantage of. Absolutely, and I think that that's something that they're not, they're just not doing the math on. If 80% uh, of the people 
are on organic SEO, then theoretically 80% of your digital budget would go there as well. Um, and it's higher converting. So you might have a, a more limited audience, right? But it's a higher converting channel and it, it's more permanent. You tend to uh, maintain your rankings until someone else catches up and surpasses you, which is pretty difficult to do. Yep, exactly. And then that part, like you mentioned with the landing pages, well, you can optimize those, right? I mean, I know you guys do it, we do it. If your conversion rate on your landing page is 1%, something's wrong with your landing page, right? You need to fix that. Uh, and so that's something that you guys should be tracking on the back end for all those centers out there um, that are watching their numbers and saying, okay, what do these pages convert at? What's wrong with this page? You know, there are a lot of tools that agencies like yours and mine use to understand that better and see where people are bouncing off or why they're bouncing off. And half the time we can just look at it and be like, oh, well, it's a crappy There's page. There's simple <laughs> testing you can do too. We've, uh, we've tested a whole variety of, uh, of verbiage in terms of like call now. And, you know, phrases like begin your journey now, they don't convert anywhere near as well as just having the words call now next to a phone number. Um, the color of buttons, right? People don't like red, but they do like orange. Uh, these simple little minute details might take your, uh, your conversion rate from 5% to 8%, right? And that might be dozens of phone calls and multiple admissions. So don't, don't assume you have to spend more money to scale paid ad channels. You can design better ads and a better landing page once somebody clicks on your ad, um, whether it's Facebook, AdWords, or, or any other channel. Yeah, you know, and this is one of my pet peeves um, that, you know, we've talked about before, but you'll get clients that have a certain aesthetic that they want. And, you know, I, I understand that sometimes, but if it converts better, if I can double or triple my conversion rate by changing the color of your button, you should probably do that. <laughs> yeah. It, and it's, it is something as simple as that in most cases to, to make those uh, improvements. Right. I mean, a lot of people want something very specific on their website for whatever reason. I don't know. And too many websites are focused on what the center wants, right? Rather than what the client's searching or actually looking for. That is an absolute pet peeve. Um, I, I don't know how many times I've had to say this, but your website is not for you. <laughs> you are not the intended audience of your website, right? People that are looking to make a life and death medical decision are the people coming to your website and oftentimes crying loved ones and, um, you know, emotionally distraught people looking for clear, concise information on the care you provide, right? So I can't tell you how much it doesn't matter if you update your executive bio once a month <laughs> and how much it does matter that you update, you know, the insurances you accept and the programs that you have once a month. Yeah, yeah. And that even goes back to jargon, right? So many websites are just overloaded with jargon. You know, CBT, DBT, MI, nobody knows what those acronyms stand for unless you're working in the field, you know? So it just doesn't make sense from a client-facing perspective to have tons of time and space devoted to these, you know, unless you can write it in a way that's written for Let's be frank, an eighth grade level is like the standard reading level in the U.S. Yeah, that's what Google, Google, looks Google for. reads at an eighth grade level. Right. So anything that one of your genius doctors writes up in medical jargon uh, will not make sense to Google, and so it just won't rank well. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, so I think 
we've seen some very common kind of client mistakes on our end and certain pet peeves and stuff, but are there any other things out there that you've dealt with? They'd be like, Hey, you know, if you're talking to an agency, don't do this cause it's not going to help you. Yeah. So I've seen, uh, under investment as a, as a big issue. Um, people come to us often and tell us their budget and it, it might not be enough to even be effective, right? What if investing $3,000 a month will yield zero results, but investing $6,000 a month will yield, you know, a 10 to one return. And so the same thing can be said for the stock market. If you buy one share of Microsoft stock back in the nineties, you made some money, but if you had bought a thousand shares, you'd be filthy rich. Um, so this concept of underinvesting, I would say that you should consult several, uh, you know, potential partners, how much do they spend on marketing and what do they see back? Um, ask agencies during the strategy process, hey, listen, what, what does a small, medium, and large campaign look like in dollars, right? We, we are able to tell you what to expect from different budgets. Um, and, and I think that really comes down to treatment centers that are expecting ridiculous results with minimal, minimal budgets. And, uh, and the issue there is simply competition, right? Even if you have all the data in the world and all of the best intentions in the world, if you spend five grand a month on marketing and a direct competitor spends 20 grand a month on marketing in the same channels, you will never catch up to them and you will never experience the same results that they are. Um, it doesn't mean you have to outspend them. It's just, a, again, it's a weakness that I've seen across the industry where budgets are decided based on just generic planning and goals um, and not based on what the market will bear and what competition is doing. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, we won't work with anyone that's doing less than 10 grand on a Facebook spend because we cannot validate the models. You will not get admissions in under that, you know, at the initial campaign stage. Sure, your cost per admin is going to drop down significantly, you know, over the next three to six months. But that first stage, you need 10 grand going into it. And so we've had centers and, you know, we've honestly, we've even tried it in the past. They're like, well, you know, can we just try five grand a month and see if we can get an admit over two months? But it doesn't work because you have to push people through decision making processes at certain speeds. You have to reach a certain amount of people. Um, there are basically economies of scale that come into play with larger ad buys, all that kind of stuff. So clients have to understand that there is a budget. You have to provide it if you want to get the results you're looking for. Yeah, and I've seen another challenge that um, we're very data-driven. We're very much a, a big data and business intelligence organization. Um, and a lot of clients, it's okay that they're not, but they're simply not built that way culturally. Um, a lot of their admissions teams are um, bonused, maybe not per patient, not on any kind of brokerage level, but you know, performance bonuses for doing a good job. And so what we've seen is a lot of misallocation, uh, misattribution in in CRM systems and the admissions process where a phone call might come in from a Facebook ad or through an organic search and it triggers a tracking number and so we know that's where it came from and when you ask the client about that call they say oh no that was from my uh, my outreach person or that was from my admissions person and I understand why they might do that or why they might report it that way but then the the challenge is in reality, the client needs that data to be clean and, and transparent because it means they should be investing more money into that Facebook ad channel or that organic search channel 
to get even more phone calls um, when the only information they're receiving back is, no, the admissions person did it. Does, does that make sense? It's, it's a bit of a grievance. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I, I think it's a huge issue. I mean, we see it pretty consistently too, the lack of attribution. Or my bigger pet peeve is just not knowing their numbers, right? Like, how many calls do you get a month? Well, I don't know, you know. Well, where do most of your admissions come from? Well, I don't know. Like, how do you not know <laughs> this information? It's really, oh, yeah. really important. <laughs> and, and a lot of people tell me that their admissions person is the best, right? Oh, yeah. And when you look at the, the data, that's simply not true. And so you need you need... The stronger your admissions team, the higher the return you're going to get from every single one of your marketing dollars. And so some training might be required, um, a little bit of structure, some focus, some stronger scheduling. Um, that, that call handling technique is a specialty, and if you don't have a specialist in that role, then no amount of marketing budget is going to get you the returns that you want. Exactly. You know, and that's probably one of my bigger pet peeves I've seen with clients is they somehow expect your marketing to close the admissions for you. And that has to happen through your admissions team. You know, we'll see a wide range across the board with, you know, very similar style campaigns running. Some people will close at like a rate of 1% and some people will close at 5%. And we've even had some close as high as 8%. And it's not related to the campaigns we're running so much as it is to the ability of their call center team to actually build a rapport with people and make them feel comfortable and then want them to come into your center. Exactly. And I've even seen uh, facilities that are so organized in their admissions process that based on what region of the country you're calling from, you'll be speaking with an admissions rep who has a similar accent. You know, someone from 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 Texas with a Texas accent they're going to talk to a rep that that's from that region. And um, it, it establishes that comfort that I was talking about earlier. It takes away a lot of fear. Um, we've, we've even heard about scenarios where the admissions rep actually went to the same high school as the person 10 years earlier um, and hung out at the same ice cream shop, right? So those relationships, that, that level of detail in your admissions process can make all the difference in the world. Um, and when we're talking about conversion rates that – could be 10% on a campaign or could be 20%, that's on the same amount of money, right? You're still investing the same amount of labor or, or dollars into an ad campaign. If your admissions team gets enough phone calls and they're good, they might close 20% of those. If they're not good, they might only close 10% of those. So I do think that's a critical part of the process um, and it is often overlooked and it's it's difficult to find good good admissions people in this space. No, it is, right? Not enough training is provided often. I mean, that's why we often have to go in and provide additional training to some of the centers we work with because their admission staff just can't handle it. And, you know, just simple wins out there, like, hey, people don't have your admissions director out walking their dog while they're taking admissions calls or going to the grocery store and buying something and having a conversation with the cashier while they're taking an admissions call. Like, these things are unprofessional and they will lose you clients. (laughs) I can guarantee it. You know, it's, it's interesting what you hear when you listen to some of the calls. You're like, how, why is this happening? But, you know, what can you do? And I would say in include your marketing resources, whether it's an outside vendor or inside employee, include them in that process. Um, Nick, what you're referencing is these, these call trainings and audits, right? Uh-huh. Clients ask us to come in and listen to their calls with their team in a HIPAA-compliant manner with all of the appropriate paperwork signed. Um but then what we're able to do is make improvements as a team 
and let your admissions team know, hey, listen, there's, there's another successful group, and what they say when they answer the phone is this. You might want to try that, right? Hello, you've reached facility ABC. What's your name? Right? That is wildly more effective than where are you calling from? What addiction do you have? <laughs> Give me your insurance info. Right. Um, so that that is something that I think a lot of facilities can make very minimal investments in. Uh, there are some proven training programs out there, the Sandler sales training, some of these where it's just normal relationship-based um, sales and admissions. And it's something that even huge hospital networks have struggled with for decades and uh, have made vast improvements in their in their patient care and those initial um, inquiries. But you don't want a patient to feel like they're sitting in a in a waiting room of an emergency room for six hours. You want them to feel like they've established a connection and that they've called the right place for their medical care. Yeah, because again, remember, they're probably researching five to seven centers at this point. You're not the only one that they called. So if you didn't build that rapport, you know, they're probably going to go with someone else. Exactly. And, you know, going back to what we said earlier about the value of working with a specialized marketing agency, but, you know, you and I, we know what good calls sound like. We know what good call centers are doing because we've worked in this space for so long, whereas another agency has no idea, you know, and they'll be sitting there twiddling their thumbs doing, you know, is it our marketing campaigns at the call center? They don't know. Whereas, I mean, we know, and not only do we know, but we can help you and support you by giving you feedback on what areas are not working. And I mean that's why we're that's why we're doing this podcast right now, right? The more educated, the more the more tactics we can share with the industry, I think the healthier it's going to be, um, and the better service everyone can provide, whether they're partners of ours or not. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's just you know the rising tide raises all boats, and I mean obviously that's why, you know, you and I are talking here. We're not competing, right? We collaborate. We help out because the goal is to help more patients. You know, that's the bottom line. And however we can do that, we're going to do that. I would even caution any agencies or vendors in this space that strike you as ultra-competitive, um, if they're not collaborating with other agencies, if they're not uh, communicating at industry events and such, um, I have often found that that means they have something to hide. Um, so in your review process, as you look at potential resources and partners and even in-house employees, challenge them. Ask them what they would think if you brought in this agency or that agency. Um, and, and just see how aggressive they are in responding. And it, it would be an interesting uh, piece of feedback, I think, for, for treatment center owners to, to witness. Um, because those that are succeeding are succeeding handily. And those that are not seem to have these ultra-aggressive sales tactics. And they all pitch that they have some kind of secret weapon um, and it's simply not the case. It's it's the consistent, well-vetted providers that are doing the best um, right now in this environment. Exactly. So I know we've covered a lot here today. Is there any kind of final advice or anything else that you wanted to dig into that we didn't get to? Um, I just think long-term trends. Um, so I think you're going to see Google stay focused on local search results. Um, all indicators in their algorithm are that that's a priority. You're going to see this schema-based uh, search result uh, show up more and more and more, and that's when you see the little rich snippets at the uh, you know the little box answering a question at the top of your search result, because Google wants users to spend more time on their sites as well. Um, they don't want them to have to leave the search engine to get the answer to their questions. So, 
realize if things are going to stay local to a great extent, and this is very much a national industry, uh, you might need to adjust your methods and strategies, and that uh, Google's preference to keep users on their platform uh, also means that you need to be deploying their best tools and their best practices to your benefit. Yeah. And kind of adding on to what we've already covered a bit is things like schema markup are things that you as an owner or a director are never going to see or probably understand, right? You don't have the background. That's why it's really important to hire someone that does an honest job, that's transparent, and that does a good job in the field because you'll never know if they did schema markup right or not, probably. So it's really important to hire someone that's going to go and do that, and that's going to cost you more. So if you're trying to pay you know, $2,000 for a website, well, it can look pretty, but it's not going to work very well for you in terms of conversions and admissions. So I, I just always like to point that out. Absolutely. Uh, so, all right. Well, I think that we've covered almost everything. Dan, how do people get in touch with you if they want to work with Dreamscape? Um, they can give me a call directly um, at 443-535-6997, or they can email me at dgemp, that's D-G-E-M-P, at dreamscapemail.com. And to all the listeners, I'd, I'd highly recommend, you know, reaching out to Dan. He's a wealth of knowledge and they do very, very good work, right? We've seen some of their work personally when we've collaborated and we can vet it on our end. And so I'm always happy to recommend Dan, you know, um, whenever we can. Yeah, and, and vice versa for those of you that want to know um, why I vouch for Nick's specialties in some of these categories. Uh, there are very good reasons and I'll show you where his methods and strategies fit well with ours. So um, thank you again for the time today, everybody who's listening. And, uh, and Nick, great, great talking to you as always. Yeah, same here. All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us again. The Recovery Executive Podcast is brought to you by Circle Social Inc. If you'd like to learn more about them and the services they offer in strategic marketing and growth consulting, you can go to www.circlesocialinc.com. And this podcast can be downloaded or streamed wherever podcasts are found, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, etc. Thank you so much and look forward to joining us next time.